And really tonight we want to lay the groundwork and kind of introduce the whole concept of elders, um, church leaders, so to speak, and, and elder looking at elders primarily uh, the next couple of weeks in terms of the office of elder and the qualifications of an elder. But we first want to talk about what an elder is. So 1 Timothy 3.1, we're going to be looking at desiring the office of an elder and overseer uh, this evening. This whole section, chapter 3, um, all the way through verse 16, is really about selecting church leaders. And so we've got the office of, of elder and we've got the, the office of deacon uh, that we'll cover in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And, um, and so in verse 1, one of the things that we're going to see, and this is really... I think a primary takeaway, and we, we're actually going to do a lot of uh, introduction in this section, but in terms of the primary takeaway from verse one, let's just read it. Uh, it says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And, and really, I think the key there is this, this word desire. Um, you know, it's, it's an office in the church, but you don't, you don't get uh, voted in against your will so to speak. It's something that, that's, that a man needs to desire or want. We'll kind of get, we'll kind of get into that more toward the end of the study tonight. Um, but we want to look at really this, this concept of an overseer, elder, pastor, shepherd, teacher, kind of how do all these things fit together in this office. And so, uh, in verse one, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man does, aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And so what we're going to see is through the teaching of the apostles in the New Testament, we understand that God designed the local church to be led by elders. Okay. And, and you'll see like, um, we're using the term elders here. And I don't know if you picked up, obviously the, the, uh, the first point there in number one, it uses the word overseer. And then I don't know if you picked up when I read the new King James version, it, it called it a bishop. Okay. And so we want to look at the word behind overseer, uh, or bishop in the translation, but also show why, why elder, why the, why the term elder is a synonym for those words. And so, um, when we say elders in the, in the workbook, we're actually using a synonym and we're going to see later in, in this study, we're going to see some different terms used of the same office. So it's a, they're synonymous terms. They're, they're different terms, but they're synonymous. And the reason these different terms are used of this one office is to emphasize different aspects of this, this same office. Um, and just as a reminder, you know, first Timothy three, 14 and 15, Paul is, uh, is, is again, giving us the reason why he's giving Timothy this detailed instruction on how to appoint elders. What are you looking for in terms of appointing, you know, correct elders? And, and in chapter three, verse 14 and 15, he says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so he's Again, writing this in case he's delayed and so that Timothy will again know how to appoint leaders in, in that local church in Ephesus and, and praise God that Paul thought this way because this is, uh, without this chapter and without Titus one, 
uh, the church would have been left uh, in a lurch to know exactly who qualified and, and what type of men needed to be overseeing their, their local church. But, but God obviously led Paul to record this, thinking that he may not be there soon enough and Timothy might need to utilize this information before he got there. And so when we look at the, the office of elders, uh, a council of elders was, was a common form of government found in nearly every society of the ancient Near East. In fact, when we look at the Jewish culture, they had leaders called elders as early as their captivity in Egypt. I'll read that. Uh, that's Exodus 3, um, verse 16. You'll see the, the concept of, of elders mentioned here. Uh, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. So they had... They had elders while in captivity in Egypt, and then they continued this form of leadership in their synagogues after, um, you know, the synagogues was a concept that developed after their captivity uh, by the Assyrians and Babylonians. And so we see, um, which we see following the, the Babylonian captivity in Ezra 10, 8, and then onward into the New Testament era in Acts 4, 5. And let me just read that because that'll kind of give us the, the full breadth there of the use of the term. So Acts 4, 5. Uh, came to pass on the next day that there are rulers, elders, and scribes, uh, as well as Annas the high priest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you see that that was kind of a, uh, a a common office, even in 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 the Jewish uh, circles and structure uh, of the leadership of their nation. And so, although the the concept of elder was familiar to most early Hebrew Christians, it was not necessarily familiar to all. Gentile cultures. Okay. And so there, it was familiar in many cultures, but it wasn't just something that happened in all cultures, especially the Gentile cultures of the day. And so, um, so you, there's some similarity to, to probably what some of Paul's readers had seen before, but also, um, whether or not there was similarity or familiarity with the concept of elders or not, this, this is a divinely ordained office. Uh, that God has put into place for local churches. And so regardless of what the similarities might be, it's interesting to note that there are similarities. But, but really when we get into the, into the biblical writings on what an elder is, this is a divinely, uh, instituted role in a divinely instituted organization known as the church. And so that's something we want to take with us. So in, in the second part, of the verse, and this is where we want to start talking about the terminology. Um, there are several Greek terms used in the New Testament to describe the office of an elder. And again, as I mentioned earlier, each term is just going to highlight a slightly different aspect of this office. In other words, we don't have elders and then bishops and then overseers and then pastor teachers. This isn't describing five or six different offices within the church. This is all, all these terms are describing the same office, uh, with a little bit different, um, I guess, aspect that each term brings to give us an understanding what the role of this office is. And so the first term we want to look at is, is the term overseer. Okay. And that's, that's how it's used or translated in the NASB. Uh, again, in the new King James, it's translated Bishop, but it's, but the, the Greek word, uh, is episkopos, 
uh, which could be translated either bishop or overseer. So that's that's kind of what we see uh, in the main translations. You either typically see bishop or overseer. Now, you some of you look at that Greek word episkopos, and it might kind of make you think of maybe another English word, and and it's where the word episcopal, uh, episcopalian, you know that that kind of denomination. That's where that word is is derived from, but the word itself uh, was reflected like a watchman, uh, a superintendent, somebody that uh, kept a close eye on things. An episkopos was an all-purpose term for a superior or an inspector. Again, what does an inspector do? Well, he closely watches things. He's keeping an eye out for things. He's, you know, he's looking. He's dusting. You know. Uh, in in the cracks and the crevices, right? He's really watching closely. That's kind of the idea that's communicated in this term. And so in the New Testament, the, the overseer of the church cared for the spiritual life of the believers. And so this concept was closely connected with shepherding. In fact, shepherding is going to be another synonymous term uh, with overseer and also elder. We're going to kind of try to put all that together. And so when you think of an overseer in a local church, they were tasked with, with just keeping a close eye on things. This again, reflects an aspect of what this role in the local church is designed to be and do. So they were to keep their, their, eye, their, uh, keep a close eye on believers in the church. How are they doing spiritually? Is something going wrong? Are they thinking unbiblically? Do they need to be corrected? Are they discouraged? Do they need to be encouraged? Um, you know, and, and in some ways that's, you know, those of us that, it, that are parents, we, we understand that aspect of the role because we do the same thing with our kids or have done the same thing with our kids. We can just tell when little Johnny's down and maybe need some encouragement or we, we kind of get a sense when maybe one of our kids is lying to us or deceiving us and they need, they need to be confronted. And so it's the idea of, of you're keeping an eye out, you're being attentive, you're watching, you're looking closely. But the other thing that this office, uh, in terms of the word overseer reflects is they were to keep a close eye on doctrine and false beliefs. That That is one of their primary roles. And obviously this is something that Paul has been instructing Timothy to do in the church of Ephesus because there was a pro- there had been a problem developing. We're going to see that when Paul gives instructions to this group of overseers from Ephesus, Ephesus in Acts 20, um, lar- a large amount of his instruction is, is for them to keep a lookout for false doctrine that always has uh, a way to creep into the church. Now I'm going to read a cross reference here that's not in your book, but I'm going to um, go with me to to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13 in verse 17. And again, just kind of reflecting this idea of of keeping a close eye, watching closely, being an overseer. Verse 17, uh, the instruction is to obey those who rule over you. And be submissive. And he's talking about elders here, I believe. He's talking about overseers, this office that we're looking at. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive. And then notice this next phrase. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. 
And so one of the things that you see here in verse 17 is it says that they watch out. They don't, they don't just watch out for your church attendance. They don't just watch out for, you know, how much money you're giving, how much money you're not giving. They don't just watch out to see if you're at, you know, Wednesday night prayer. And that's not the deal, but they're watching out for your souls. There's something, uh, you know, extremely valuable uh, in terms of what the overseers are to keep their eyes out for, to, to pay close attention. And that is the, the spiritual health of the believers. And then guess what? Verse 17 says, they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. And you know, that word watch out, really interesting word. It means literally without sleep. They're, they're constantly thinking a, 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 a true elder, one who is who is an elder in a local church who's been recognized, who desires the office, who, who has the qualifications, is going to be a man who, who cares about the souls of people, who is going to be proactive and looking and keeping a close eye on, sensitive to those kind of things, looking out for those kind of things. And that's really the emphasis, I think, of that particular word. Now, we go to Titus 1.5. And so jump, jump forward with me to Titus chapter one, verse five. And he says this to Titus, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And so this time he uses a different term. Uh, he, he describes the term elder, it's presbyteros. And literally that means an older man. And in the context of the church, it was used to describe a mature man having seasoned judgment. And so this is a different term that he's using here. Um, but when you compare the qualifications, in fact, when you compare 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus 1, 5 through 9, uh, what it's going to show you is that the, the press, and that's a typo, it's presbyteros, the elders, and the episkopos, the overseers, they described the same office. You'll see this when you compare the qualifications in Titus 1, uh, five through nine with the qualifications we're going to look at in first Timothy three, one through seven, it's describing, uh, the same office. Okay. And so again, we've got this term, uh, presbyteros. Now, again, that should probably, you know, make you think of an English word. It's, it's, you know, Presbyterian, the presbytery, um, that's where those words come from this word. Okay. But again, we're making the argument that the, the presbyteros, this, this term translated elder, uh, as well as episkopos, the term translated overseer, are the same one in the same office. And so we'll, we'll kind of make those connections as we go. We're just introducing the, the, the terms now and saying that these terms refer to the same office. Um, unlike the term overseer though, the term elder uh, refers to maturity without, without regard to actual age. And so the significance of this uh, is that the aged generally possess both wisdom and experience. Whether a church leader is old or not, he should have ample experience and possess godly wisdom to qualify for service. And so uh, an elder doesn't have to have an age qualification. You know, some people say, well, an elder, you know, we don't we don't appoint elders unless they're, you know, 50 years old or 60 years old or whatever. There's really not an upper level age qualification to be an elder, but there's a, there is a maturity qualification. That's what we're looking at. A spiritual maturity, um, is, is what we're looking at. And I think the, the description 
of of the qualifications of this role, we'll, we'll kind of play that out. That we're looking for, uh, as an elder, we're looking for somebody with spiritual maturity, not necessarily just uh, age. Um, there's a lot of older people, older saints even, that that are not what you couldn't describe them as spiritually mature, but but they have the age and experience that 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 should result in maturity. But but due to even just lack of daily responses of faith, lack of spiritual growth, those kind of things, we couldn't quite categorize them as spiritually mature. You know, mature, being mature and being spiritual are two different things. Maturity requires being spiritual consistently over a long period of time. And that's how you develop maturity. Um, spirituality, on the other hand, is is true of any believer, new Christian, mature Christian, any moment that they're walking by means of the Spirit. And so when we talk about uh, qualifications for elder, we're looking for spiritual maturity, not just um, are they spiritual once in a while, but have they have they clocked time, uh, if you will, in fellowship with the Lord on a very consistent basis over a, over a period of time. And that will that is what we would define as maturity. Now in Ephesians 4, uh, we're introduced to, to a third term that I believe, again, refers to the same office, and that is uh, the term pastor. And so you've got Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and he himself gave some uh, as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And the literal meaning of this word pastor uh, is the Greek word poimen, uh, is shepherd. And so it reflects a person who cares for uh, a flock of sheep. In John 10, 11 through 14, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. And uh, a shepherd uh, is willing or does oftentimes lay down his life for the sheep. But we see that the hired man leaves them to die. Again, just reflecting a quality of this person that we call elder. Look at John 10. We'll read that verse 11 through 14 says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. And so we see that perspective here uh, of how hired men, uh, you know, hired to watch flocks. If, if the trouble, uh, you know, if the, I guess if the kitchen got too hot, so to speak, and wolves started coming around, they would, they would just let the wolves have the sheep, but a true shepherd, uh, you know, this, this character quality of an elder and overseer reflected by the term shepherd, um, actually cares about the sheep and willing to lay down his own life for the sheep, you know, referring to Jesus again and later in Hebrews, um, 1320, the text says this about Jesus. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And then first Peter five, four calls Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. And so obviously this is the exact word used, um, in Ephesians four eleven, translated pastor that, that, Jesus himself is called the good pastor, if you will, or the good shepherd. That's this word here. Okay, so in Acts 20, when speaking to the elders 
of the churches um, in verse 17, Paul reminded them to shepherd the flock. Acts 20, 28 says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd. And that's the verb form of shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Let's go to Acts 20 because Acts 20 is a great passage that puts together all of these terms. Let's go to Acts chapter 20 and starting in verse 17. And and you're going to see the the use of these terms that we're comparing that, again, refer to the same office. But in verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. There's our word presbyteros, the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. And then again, notice where he goes here. Among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay, that's our that's our Greek word, episkopos. That's what we see in 1 Timothy 3.1. And then he says, he's the Spirit of God has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so then we see uh, the concept of shepherding, which we're looking at again as, as kind of a synonymous term for this office. And so, so in Acts 28 uh, or Acts 20 in general, we've got the use of the, the term elders, uh, the, the use of the term overseers, and then the verb form of shepherding, um, all used of the same group of men reflecting again, that this is one in the same office. Now, when we talk about elders, it's never listed as a spiritual gift, but pastor is listed as a spiritual gift according to Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. So an elder may have the gift of pastor or he may have another spiritual gift and that's okay. However, a man with the gift of pastor is likely to serve as an elder in the church. Why? Because one of the primary functions of an elder Uh, is to shepherd. And so if a man is gifted as a shepherd teacher, um, it's highly likely that he would also be an elder in the church. And obviously if, if you have, if you have a pastor, um, you would hope that he would qualify spiritually to also be an elder in the church, that he would, that he would be viewed as someone who's spiritually mature. Um, Otherwise he probably shouldn't be a pastor, right? If he doesn't have uh, at least those qualifications. And so, uh, in fact, when we, when you get to Ephesians 411, and I, I should have pointed this out when we were there, but you know, a lot of people, they, they look at that list. You've got apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. 
And a lot of people see five gifts there, but, but the way the, the language is put together there, it's not a pastor and a teacher, two separate gifts. It's a pastor hyphen teacher or a pastor teacher. Um, that's, that's one gift there, uh, according to, to the Greek grammar. And so, you know, the pastor, uh, the pastor teacher is a spiritual gift, uh, given to, to churches to build up the body of Christ. But pastor teachers, because they've got the gift of pastor, um, many times are, are going to serve as an elder in the church because that is descriptive of one of the functions of, of an elder, one of the main descriptions of a function of an elder. And so, uh, let's just go through some other passages and just look through the interchangeableness uh, of these terms. And um, let's go to Titus 1, uh, verse 5 and 7. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then jump down to verse 7, For a bishop must be blameless. And so you've got the um, the same office called both elders and overseers. And remember, New King James the translation for overseer in the new King James is Bishop. Okay. It's not a separate office. It's not, you know, there's no, there's no scriptural basis for having bishops and archbishops and, you know, these kind of bishops all over types of different churches is you would got one official, um, leadership office, not archbishops, bishops, but, but overseers or elders or shepherds. That's all describing, one leadership office. And then we have a separate office called deacons, which we'll get to later in first Timothy three. We already looked at Acts 20, but we saw that the, those two past, those two verses there refer to the same group of people using all three designations, an elder, an overseer, and a command to shepherd the church of God. Again, reflecting that we're talking about the same group of men. Ephesians 4.11, the noun pastor uh, is given as a spiritual gift. First Peter uh, 2.25, we'll read it here in a second, but it equates shepherd to overseer when it refers to Christ as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So First Peter 2.25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so we see those two terms again equated, um, describing obviously here the Lord Jesus. And then, Jump over to First Peter five, and we're going to see that uh, this section uses elders an official title, and then describes the elders' function as that of shepherding and overseeing. Let's read First Peter five, one through three. It says, "The elders who are among you, uh, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed." shepherd the flock. So he's called them elders. Now he's telling them to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers. Again, he uses that third term, uh, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for a dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And then when the chief shepherd, again, describing Jesus Christ appears, you will receive a, the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so You'll see there even that that this crown of glory is a unique crown uh, that would be part of part of the reward uh, of an elder of any man who's ever served as an elder that there's a potential uh, to receive that specific crown uh, for ruling overseeing 
God's local church in a, in a way that that honors and brings um, joy to the Lord. And so the point of all this, you know, we've been going over, we've been going over all these different terms. The point of it is to see the interchangeable nature of these terms um, and not see them as three separate roles. Uh, and so that that's kind of the goal is to say, okay, all of these terms refer to the same uh, to the one in the same office in the local church. And so before we dig deeper in the details of first Timothy three, let's look at a couple of additional observations regarding the role uh, of an elder in a local church. Okay. And so one of the things that we notice in almost every case is that scripture refers to elders in the plural. Uh, the church is meant to be run by a plurality of elders, not by a single dictator. And you've got all these verses here. Let's just pick up a couple. Let's go to acts 14, um, verse 23, and then we're going to go to Philippians 1, 1. So Acts 14, 23 says this. So when they had appointed elders, again, plural in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they had appointed elders, a plurality of elders in every church. And that was very important, um, to see. And then we go to Philippians 1, 1. Again, Paul writing to the Philippian church from a Roman jail, and he writes this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops, notice plural, and deacons, plural. And so he's addressing and writing to uh, a group of elders, not just a single elder. Second, the other thing we want to look at elders is elders who rule well, um, that's a description uh, meaning that, that they work hard in the preaching and teaching of the word should be paid. There's no biblical mention of paid staff in churches other than for elders who pastor or teach the flock. Now, it's really interesting because many churches today have have a paid pastoral staff, and then they have an entirely different group of people who are the quote-unquote elders. And what we're going to find from from the, the scriptural uh, teaching here and from the Bible is that elders who, who rule well, meaning they work hard in the preaching and teaching of the word, they should be paid. And so let's look at a couple of those verses. Let's go to first Corinthians uh, chapter nine. Um, let's just see a couple of these concepts being communicated in verse four. We'll bounce around a little bit, but Paul says, do we have no right to eat and drink? Uh, there, there's a right expected and afforded to to Paul and his companions because they've invested the word of God in the Corinthians. We know that that he strategically didn't take their money. Uh, he strategically did a tent making job while in Corinth so that he could um, stand out in distinction from all of the other traveling teachers that demanded money from people that he was going to provide uh, the gospel to them free of charge, but he had the right to is, is going to be his point in all these passages in first Corinthians nine, verse 11. Uh, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? In other words, we've invested the word of God in, into you. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we reap some material benefits from that? Don't we have the right you know, you're giving money to other spiritual teachers who are running through here and, and selling you snake oil, basically. We're giving you the word of God and we haven't demanded a dime from you, but we have the right uh, to expect that, but we're not demanding it from you. Verse 14, 
Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And so we see that concept again, that if they they teach, they work hard in the preaching and teaching the word, they should be paid. Go to Galatians um, chapter 6 in verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Again, just another argument that if somebody labors well and teaches the word, um, they should be remunerated. And then go to 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 18. It says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Why? For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so we see that this is a, a biblical concept uh, that that elders, especially those who labor in the teaching of the word of God, should be paid. There should be some some desire to meet their material needs. Another thing we want to notice about elders is that all verbs, all the verbs used in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, describing these different qualifications or character um, attributes of an elder are, are all in the present tense. Um, and what that indicates to us is that these needed to be present, ongoing qualities, not qualities that were true of them in the past. In fact, if, if past character uh, past character qualities were were elimination factors, then I don't believe anybody could qualify uh, to be an elder. You know, ho- hopefully by the time somebody is being considered as an elder, they uh, have spiritually matured, meaning that they weren't always mature, that they they may not have always met these qualifications. And, and so if we're looking at past qualifications um, on any of these qualifications, then I would venture to say that that no man would ever be qualified to be an elder. This is something that, that people spiritually grow uh, and attain to through spiritual maturity. And so um, that's important to understand that all of the qualifications are given in present tense. We're looking at present character qualities, not did they ever do this in the past, but what are they like now? You know, you could have a, a man who, uh, you know, an easy one to go to is, is, is if a man is married now. Is he a one woman man? Is he faithful to his wife? Not was he faithful uh, to his girlfriend at age 18 or, or, you know, was he faithful in, in high school to, to everyone he dated? That, that would disqualify many men. If we went back and looked at past uh, character, character qualities, you know, if a, if a man was, was a drunk, uh, you know, as a teenager or in his early twenties and yet, now he's 50 and he, he, he is not a drunk. Well, we can't disqualify him for being a drunk, uh, you know, as a 20 year old. Um, so we're looking at present tense qualities. That's, that's kind of the point. Um, and so number four, even though there is no retirement age given for elders, when it becomes obvious that they are no longer able to function well in shepherding the flock, they should retire or be asked to retire. In other words, it's not like, okay, once you hit, you know, 90, you've got to step down. There's no age, upper age limitation for elders. What it is, is, you know, looking for, uh, how are they able to exercise, um, this office? How are they able to, to, you know, perform, if you will, um, at shepherding? Are they able to, and, and some, some men due to health concerns, due to family responsibilities, um, 
they they it would be responsible for them to step down at some point. Uh, they're no longer able to function in that that oversight role, that shepherding role, that care role, that um, you know that 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 role that just is really proactive, if you will. In leading the church, it's probably time for them to step down. And I can't think of a better example than, than of an injured athlete who is not at 100%. And sometimes it's maybe better for them to remove themselves from the game and let the backup go in or let somebody else take their position. Um, even if maybe they can't do it as well as them. Maybe they don't have the, the quite the experience left. But to understand that they're fully healthy and ready to step in and, and help the greater uh, the greater team. Um And then number five, all the adjectives used in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus describing elders are in the masculine gender, indicating again that elders were expected to be men. And so again, this is just another strong argument, I believe, uh, for God's intended authority structure in the local church, especially coming out of chapter two, um, to to not see those two things kind of tied together would be, um, you know, neglect in pointing out the context, you know, chapter two, verse eight. Uh, you've got a you know, role for men in the church to, to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And then you describe how, how should women uh, behave themselves in a local assembly, in that public assembly. And they, he goes into to detail about how they should dress and then how they, they should be active learners in verse 11. And then he says that he doesn't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. So he's describing authority there and, and women are not to seize authority in the local church because God's actually given authority to, to the group of men who are qualified that we're going to see in first Timothy chapter three. And that's who God is, has given authority to in the local church. It's, it's these men that meet these qualifications. And so this is why, uh, Paul, uh, is going to instruct Timothy concerning the type of leaders he should choose uh, as elders for the church. Now, one of the things that's really interesting as you, again, as we look at first Timothy in context is, is Acts 20. We've, we've kind of read that whole passage 17 through 35 shows that the church at Ephesus had functioning elders well before Paul wrote this letter. Uh, why then did Timothy need this information on the appointment of elders in the already functioning church of Ephesus? That is a great question. In fact, it's a very curious question. And so we're going to look at some potential reasons as to why Timothy even needed this instruction for the church at Ephesus. Letter B, typically, sometimes in large cities, there were many small churches. And so as new congregations were born, maybe in different areas of the city, there was a constant need for appointing additional elders. So that might've been the reason, you know, when we talk about the church of Ephesus, we weren't talking about a, a single gathering, but, but maybe all the gatherings of the churches, um, in that city. And so bigger cities would have, you know, different small churches and new congregations in different areas. And so, this might have been one of the, the, the reasons or the needs for Timothy to appoint uh, elders. Uh, again, it kind of gives us insight if this is true. And it, and it, is, it is true that there were different congregations in different larger cities. Uh, and again, it, it points out the need for local hands-on leadership. Not a, not a church that's run from a, a corporate office, you know, five states away. 
not a church that's that's run by a denominational headquarters, right? The, but the idea that local leadership equipped by the Spirit of God meeting these maturity requirements are, are capable and able, have all the resources to make decisions to lead this local congregation that they find themselves a part of. Another reason why Paul might have had to instruct Timothy to appoint elders is we know from 1 Timothy that some of the teachers in Ephesus had had fallen into heresy. Uh, we saw that, right, with Alexander and Hymenaeus. Um, others, we, we know we're beginning to err in their teaching. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, right? I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And so Timothy likely needed to help these congregations replace erring or disciplined elders. That may have been a factor in why Paul gives Timothy the qualifications on how to appoint elders. Uh, it's because some of these some of these men, maybe Alexander and Hymenaeus, maybe they were elders, maybe other men who were elders had had fallen into heresy and were no longer qualified. Uh, to be an elder, and so he needed to appoint some new men. That might have been a possibility. Uh, the other thing that could have happened is, is in any congregation, there's a, a natural need to replace elders uh, when they get to an age of no longer being able to function according to the biblical requirements or when they are no longer qualified according to the qualifications uh, given. And again, it's not, it's not just their age. It could be their season of life. You know, just because one is... One is an elder today. It doesn't mean that five years from now, they're still going to be spiritually mature. You know, if they're not growing spiritually or, or having um, just consistent fellowship with the Lord, they could actually regress in their spiritual maturity. They could be more carnal five years from now. And so if any of these situations happen, then, then they would need to be removed. There would be a need to replace those types of men. Thankfully, because of Paul's divinely inspired letters to Timothy and Titus, we now know who qualifies for church eldership and who does not. And again, I, I kind of made this uh, note, kind of comment before, but if, if Ephesus was not in need of new leadership, we may have never had this instruction recorded. Uh, in fact, if Paul had known for sure he was going to make it to Ephesus, he probably would have just taken care of it himself. So it's a real blessing that he was delayed in some way or not able to, to kind of be 20 places at once. So he had to record um, this instruction, which has really been a blessing and benefit to the church churches throughout uh, the ages. And so let's get in finally to verse one. Let's read it again. It's a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. Okay, so if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Again, the office of elder or overseer is something a man must desire to do, not something he is forced into through obligations or manipulation. Notice that, that word desire. Um, notice that the word aspire is the New American Standard gives it. This is not an office that somebody should take begrudgingly that somebody should just, you know, feel like pressure to take it because their name keeps coming up. This is an office that a, that a man must desire to take it. And if he doesn't have the desire, he should not step into this position. Even if he's a spiritually mature man, he should not step into this position. In fact, the word translated aspires in the new American standard, um, 
means to snatch, to, to reach after, to stretch out for with the hands. And so metaphorically, the word meant to long after, to try to attain. Uh, it, it even was used negatively to be ambitious or to describe greediness for financial gain. And the idea is that there's a desire for the position of elder that God often puts in the hearts of some men. And not only do you have to talk them into it, they're reaching after it. Maybe they're, they're stretching out for it. They're kind of letting you know they want to be in that position because they have a heart uh, for people. And so the word translated uh, desires later in the verse, you know, in the New King James, it's it's desires, desires, but there's actually two words used there. That second word, when it says he desires a good work, uh, is a compound word in the Greek. Uh, the preposition epi uh, f- means focused on or, uh, or resting upon, combined with uh, thumos, means to passionately desire. And what it does is it, it intensifies the passion of an already passionate word. Th- thumeo by itself is already a passionate word, but when you add a preposition in the Greek, it it intensifies that passion. It makes it uh, an emphatic passion. They really, really, really had to have the desire to want to be in this office. And so in essence, these words highlight the spiritual aspirations uh, of a believer to study, to labor, and to sacrifice in order to equip himself for leadership in the church. And so God's greatest organization on earth today. And so this office is something worthy of hearty aspiration and strong uh, desire. It's not, it's not just somebody going, oh, oh, well, I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll try it out. Yeah. Let me give it. No, it's, it's more of like, let me at them. Let me at them. I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. I, I want to be involved uh, in this, this special and unique role to, to oversee and shepherd God's local flock here. I consider an honor and I want to tackle it. And that's kind of the mindset that comes through um, in this verse. And so hopefully that was that was a good overview for you. Hopefully there was nothing confusing shared there. But um, let me just, we're, we're going to stop there for tonight. There at the, the bottom of page 47. We'll close there. Lord, thanks. For this evening, thank you for the study. We, Lord, we, we thank you for all the men over the years who have qualified spiritually for this position of elder, who have served you well in this position, who have, who have looked out for the spiritual welfare of others who, who have the guts to not only confront people, but the heart to encourage people. Lord, what a what an incredible blend of truth and grace that these men need. And Lord, I just I just pray for the elders in our church. Lord, we we want to be under shepherds that bring the great shepherd glory. We want to be men who are walking by means of the Spirit, and we might just spill grace and truth on others in all of our interactions with them, and just be an encouragement to them that we might be an example. Lord, that you'd give us insight into the lives of people in our local church that we might know how best to support them and encourage their own spiritual growth. And so that's our heart's desire. And we pray for all the, the churches in the world who have elders as well that, that aspire to the position, that desire this position, that you would just equip them to be even, even better each day. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.